Welcome to Coping with COVID-19, an editorially independent program from the editors of Modern Aesthetics Magazine and Practical Dermatology Magazine. This episode features doctors Joel Cohen, Doris Day, Steve Diane, Michael Gold, Mark Nestor, Joel Schlesinger, and Amy Taub. They discuss what their practices look like as they reopen and share tips for keeping themselves, their staff, and their patients safe. So who's open for elective procedures right now based on where you're located? So Doris, you're in New York. What are you doing? You're not open at all. No, we're not open. I'm hoping for a soft reopen May 15th, but we'll see. I mean, so far we're, that's still on the schedule. We're booking two patients an hour um, and we have a whole protocol. We're gonna make a video this week for our patients. We'll do a dry run and have a staff member work as a patient. So the two front desks, there's only gonna be two at the front desk and they'll be spaced out. So they're six feet apart. We have three MAs. So one's gonna be in the lab who's gonna put together all the materials. The MA who takes the patient into the front door will be open. So no, so far it's totally touchless. All the information is filled out ahead of time, even consent forms before they come in because they can do that online with, our, um, with the EHR that we have. So once they go in the room, the MA and I will stay in the room with them. We'll send a note to the person who is putting together the materials they will bring everything in, take the patient's credit card to go and pay while we do the treatments. And then when we're done with the treatment, they'll give the credit card back, give the ice. And then that person who's on the outside will also make sure the hallways are clear. So when the patient's ready to go, they can just walk out and they won't be in close contact with anyone else. They'll have a mask when they come in. If they don't, we'll give them a surgical mask. I bought the new fabric masks for my staff. So each staff member will get two masks and they can wear one, wash one. Um, we'll spray it with hypochlorous acid throughout the day. Um, in between each patient, we've left time to clean the rooms thoroughly. We've taken the arms off the chairs um, in the exam room, so there's nothing to touch there. We've taken all the magazines and everything out of the waiting room in case people are there. When we want the patients to have product or magazines or anything we want them to take with them, we'll have a bag, we'll put everything in. So anything they may have, might have seen in the office, they will get in a bag. We have um, TouchMD, which has all of our um, treatments and consent forms and everything else on there. So um, anything that we want them to know about, whether it's a treatment we do in the office or something they may be interested in, they can find it through there. And we can also personalize it for them so they can have exactly what we want them to have on the, um, on the forms. Um, so I think we've tried to think it through every single step of the way. We're gonna do a lot of what Steve said with the povidone iodine in the nose and with the mouthwash. I don't know how I can do an assessment of the face. Even if I'm gonna do neuromodulator only in the upper face, I still need to see the whole face in order to properly assess what they need. So I think for a good part of the time, the patient will be without a mask. Um, and um, I think that's something we're just gonna to have to figure out. I might be stepped back for a lot of it or um, just have my mask on, but uh, we'll do all the other stuff with asking patient questions about if they're sick or not sick before they come in. All of that standard stuff that we all know we're going to do and um, and then just see how it goes. But I'm hoping that the precautions we're taking will will be enough to keep everybody safe and have patients be able to come in and still enjoy the experience. Because I think that's a big part of it, too, is that it's still a patient experience that we have to focus on. And while we want them to feel safe and healthy, we still want them to come through and feel good about the visit. That's a great point that Doris brings up. The patient experience, 
is a new normal. And that, you know, more, as aesthetic physicians, that's what we're best at. So we really have to rethink that. And Doris, I love that you brought that up and it makes me think, what am I gonna do differently to make sure the experience is still good? Uh, Mark, you're open. Mark, you're open. So tell us what you're doing. You're open, and you're in uh, Miami, so everybody knows Mark's in Miami. Right. So we are slowly ramping up. Uh, you know, to, and and part of it is to make sure uh, how we're doing this efficiently. Uh, the key issues are, as Dara said, uh, everybody's wearing a mask. The patients are wearing a mask. Uh, we're certainly questioning them before they come in. Nobody's in the waiting room. They're coming right from their car into the office. Um, we have protocols in place to clean the rooms and everything in the morning, a deep clean, and then between patients uh, without question. Um, we're wearing masks the entire time. And it's interesting. I, I agree with Doris about the, the issue of uh, patient experience, but I think at this point, the most important patient experience is to feel safe. And I think that the, you know, they, they totally understand that we've made changes only to keep them safe and to keep our staff safe. So they really are comfortable. You know, I, I think about myself uh, going into Whole Foods and I was, I've only become comfortable recently because the change that has occurred here in Whole Foods is everyone wears a mask, everything is people wear gloves, they keep people apart, et cetera. And I realized that I'm comfortable with that because of the issue that they're doing everything they can for safety. So we are absolutely doing everything we can along those lines for safety. Um, primarily right now, we're doing clinical backup visits because we have patients with skin cancers, et cetera, that we're doing. Uh, we are um, uh, seeing patients for their well-being. And I, I think it's important because the media right now is all over dermatology and it, there was uh, there a couple of articles and other things to say, how can you open and use PPE for cosmetic procedures? And that's really uh, kind of the issue that they're, they're pushing here is, you know, you're taking PPE out of the hands of the frontline workers because your patients need Botox. So we have to be very careful about how we do it and how we're explaining it, not just to patients, uh, but to everybody, to the media. My understanding is that there are uh, media people, news people who are going into offices um, and you know, being almost wise to do stories. And I'm sure, I'm sure this is happening in the New York Times because this is what they love to do, doing stories about you know, how all we care about is you know, cosmetics and um, you know, making money. Uh, and in doing this, we're jeopardizing the public. So we have to be very, very careful about how we do this, about the perception, and about our story. Uh, and as I said, what I, I talked about, uh, and Michael was on that, uh, did a big WebEx or around the world for MCAS, and uh, I talked about the fact that the companies, not just us, but the companies need to change the way they're talking, even about toxins, fillers, and other procedures. They really have to talk about it as patient well-being. We need this. We need to be able to offer patients things because it's so stressful right now for them. It's so difficult to exist. And if we can do little things to make their lives better and to make them happier, 
Um, that's really the issue. It's much more important. I, I said something funny, but it was true that if you think about the glabellin frowning, you know, people are wearing masks, all you're seeing is a frown at this point. So, you know, that's all the people is going to say are, you know, you're scowling at me. I can't see your mouth that you're smiling. So the idea somehow that we're able to stop that frown um, is not only beneficial to the patient and how they feel, but it's certainly beneficial to the people around them who only can see their eyes and their frown. So I think, again, it's how we talk about this, how, we, how the perception is. Okay, Aim. Uh, the only things I have to add to that are, we are also screening for a pulse, a pulse oximeter because people with early disease don't necessarily have a fever and they might have a low oxygen or lower than 90. Um, we also, I have purchased some air purifiers that are good for rooms. So we're gonna rotate those around. They filter out, the ones that I bought, filter out for 0 0.007, I think. Um, and they're pretty quick, they're pretty quick. Obviously, I don't have a negative pressure operating room. I wish I could have bought 15 of them, only I could get three. But um, just there's some evidence that there's a certain amount of, you know, virus that can linger in the air after somebody goes. And again, by cleaning up, I'm thinking we'll put the air purifier in for the 10 minutes while we're cleaning the room as well. Um, and then maybe through the next visit, and then we'll move it to the next room. Um, similar kinds of spacing as Dora's. We have done a soft open. We're doing any, any cosmetic procedure that we can do as long as we can keep a mask on their face and we don't generate a plume. So no CO2, no laser hair removal, um, no fillers for right now just because we can't really do that. But when we're planning for our fuller open on June 1st, um, we are going to have people that are having more extensive procedures or need to be in the room without their mask for more than 10 minutes. We're going to have them do a saliva, uh, not the antibody test, the actual test, which appears to be a vetted and be pretty accurate. And then they're going to have to quarantine for three days while we get the results. It's not that the results take three days. It's just like by the time it gets sent, yada, yada, we get the results, etc. So we're going to go pretty far with that. But I also want to point out something that, that Doris said, which is not only is it not going to be pleasurable for the patient, but it's not just so great for the doctor. Like, I really enjoy my patients. I like my time to talk and laugh with them, tell them what I'm about to do, banter away, ask them about their family. So instead, I think to make it better for anybody who's having, not so much for Botox or the upper face, but let's say somebody's coming in for fillers, or a laser procedure that's going to take 30 minutes where we want to reduce the amount we're going to talk. Okay, we're not going to talk because every time you talk, particles are going in the air, even with the mask. So I think we're going to do like a little Zoom uh, pre-visit. Like, a, you know, my staff will get everything together with them, make sure that they've got all their information, know what's going to happen when they come in. But then I'm going to talk to them a little bit and, you know, with filler patients, like, okay, they've had filler six months ago, but they always want to say, well, well, what do you think I should have, right? 
And like with a mask on, you're not going to know. And then you're going to be talking back and forth. You're going to be like, make this face and this and that. So if you could do it the day before, a week before, three days before, I don't care. It is time consuming, but you're literally going to be able to talk to them and interact with them, even though it's through Zoom. It'll make it a little bit more personable. Then when they come in, instead of you just being like a robot technician and they're being like just a piece of meat to work on, at least you had that contact beforehand. And maybe we'll even talk to them afterwards because I just don't know that, I don't know that I really want to practice like this. If it's, as long as it's temporary, okay. But if this becomes the norm, I just, it takes the pleasure out of being a doctor. So, so we're talking about doing virtual consultations then, essentially. Yes. And, and see, I- They can I, be brief. Right. They can be brief, but you know what? The truth is, is that a lot of times when a patient comes in for fillers, what usually happens is, now, sometimes it's just straightforward. Give me what you gave me last time. But other times it's like, and I want two syringes. They know exactly how much that costs, blah, blah, blah. But other times it's like, let's discuss it again. And you've got those patients who are like, you've been seeing them for four years, doing the same thing every six months or a year, and they still want to discuss it again. So by the time you do all that, by the time you get them to like sign a new consent, and by the time they get their new quote, that's taken up 25 minutes, your visit's gone. And then you have that anxiety leaning in the back of your head like, well, I don't have the 25 minutes I had to like really give this a good procedure. So I actually really like the idea of having pre-consultations that are through Zoom or whatever. Are you gonna do the test in your office for COVID using the, the swab and sending it to like lab? No, it's actually something can be a home test. So they can, they, the lab sends it to them. They swab their mouth. They put it in or spit in it like you do for a genetic test. They send it back. And then it takes 24 hours to get the readings. According it's to this. I didn't think it was available yet. I mean, it's been approved, but I didn't think it was available. It's called Microgen DX. Of course, now that I tell you guys, it probably won't be available. No, Microgen <laughs> DX. Um, it has an EUA. According to their website, and I know this is ridiculous, it's 100% sensitive and specific. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. I know, but- <laughs> is it made in China? It's made, it's, it's, made in the, it's made in the moon. <laughs> it's better than nothing. All right, Joel, what are you doing differently or add to that? So- Because you're, you're working. So I am working some days. I am doing mostly a backlog of Mo's. Yes, I have done some neuromodulators, but patient volume is purposefully down. Um, we are calling people in from the car. There's no waiting room. The walls, the, you know, the door handles, the surfaces, everything is really wiped down very carefully um, in the rooms. And patients are using hand sanitizers um, before and after icing for certain areas. Um, in terms of, you know, rationalizing the neuromodulators even, you know, there's a lot of patient reported outcomes and studies about life quality index dating back to Sue Allen Cox's uh, 2003 article on that where people frowning were, were feeling like they were conveying negative emotions. Steve Diane has published a lot on that um, and that's been important stuff. I did something last year with um, Jolie Kaufman on the same thing where psychologic type things. And, and you know, if, if one argues, well, people are mostly wearing a mask, we have to realize that many people are on webinars like this. Many people are doing a lot of their work completely by webinars, and they want to feel good about themselves. Other things to think about 
is, is that we really need to think about every step of the way of what we do and what we touch. And it's very different. So, you know, when I finish a procedure, oftentimes I'll take off my surgical mask in a pre-COVID era and I'll talk to them, I'll explain the post instructions and now it's on and you go to almost touch something and you have to remind yourself, don't touch it. I'm not wearing these regular glasses. I'm wearing surgical glasses that come around that are prescription, but it's very hard and hot to wear um, one of those shields over it. And then I'm wearing, you know, one or two masks, depending on, you know, if it's a surgery day or not type, type of thing. And I have done surgeries on the tip of the nose and I, for Mohs, and I have done um, surgeries on the lip and I've reconstructed these. And, you know, I think these are really, you know, thoughtful suggestions in terms of the betadine. We use a lot of hypochlorous acid here, you know, and even after finishing a surgery, you know, you can spray a suture line even near the eye with hypochlorous acid. And I think that's important to point out that these are, these are actually eye safe. Um, I do want to say that, you know, while Mark brought the, the point of N95 masks up, you know, we're not getting N95 masks. Those are being sent and properly so to hospitals and units taking care of COVID. We're getting what people consider kind of, kind of N95 masks. We're getting KN95. So maybe the K stands for kind of, um, but they're not <laughs> N95. So, right. so the biggest and, concern and, about those are that the, you know, the FDA just said 70% of them really don't work. And so how do we know which ones are actually good and not? That's, 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 that's a huge problem. That's a huge issue. At point, most of them are made in China at this point, even with 3M's name on some of them. And there's been manufacturing um, listings all over the place. But there are ways to actually look to see if they potentially are, are real or not. Because some of the original K N95 tests are very similar to N95. And I'll, the last point I want to say is that many states and many um, locations right now are not letting physicians and healthcare workers actually use the ones, the N95 that have respirators on them. Because the concern is that not only does it filter what you're breathing for somebody taking care of a COVID patient, but it actually puts out what you're breathing out. So there's concern about that. So I think those will become less popular and more people are just gonna want the plain N95 mask and those are gonna be harder to get. All right, actually, Joel Schlesinger. Welcome, Joel Slesser, but we're, Steve, Diane, then Joel, we'll talk, we're talking about if you're open and right. that, what you're doing. Jo Steve, anything else you want? You, you've not started yet, and so you're ready to go when? So we, we're going to um, do a soft opening the 18th for research patients. The 26th of May will open for uh, surgical and non-surgical patients. We're going to start slowly with surgery, but that's, that's the plan. And oh, I love Doris's ideas and Amy's ideas, so I'm adopting all those, and I just writing down notes here as I hear you guys speak. I do want to mention that there's a way to do a fit testing with N95 masks. Are any of you thinking about doing that? I've done it, but it's, you have to get that mask then. So, yeah, because I have to do right, it for so, Bellevue for for being on faculty. So Me too. I, I can't get an N95 right. mask. So I, right. so I am open. I mean, so during the whole shutdown, we were open for quote unquote essential visits. I saw like three people a day. Um, and, and then our city, Nashville is allowed, we're in the what's called the pre-opening. And so essential, so elective procedures are allowed to commence. We actually go to our phase one on Monday. We're not gonna be able to ramp anything up until we're really in phase three and four. So we've got another month of just doing what we're doing now, which limits us to 50% maximum capacity and what we would normally do. And we can only treat people under the age of 70 who are healthy. 
all right, with all the precautions that I'm doing everything you're doing uh, in one person at a time. I mean, my reception area seats 50. Okay, there hasn't been 50 people in there in two months. And so it's one, families, if it's families, they all wait in their car. If it's a child who needs a guardian, they come in. The other thing that we do that everybody, you know, when my staff gets here in the morning and me, we all go to our lab. We all to have a temperature check. We fill out our um, questionnaire and we sign a logbook that we did it and we have our temperature check. And that's part of everything that we do and you gotta do for your employees. Every patient when they walk in has to do the same. I do have a COVID consent um, that I'm using for all my patients just because I think I wanna do it. And it basically says you, we're doing everything we can do to minimize any risk and whatever, but then it's one patient at a time. Um, and we are, we're four providers in our MedDerm side, so we each are seeing one at a time. We have eight MAs, they're all assigned to the rooms and they keep the flow. And we have boxes on our check-in and check-out um, where the patients must stand six feet away and they're six feet away from where we are, um, or my staff is, because again, we're trying to do everything. The doors are all open. Um, everything. And what you said, it was interesting. My first patient today was a law enforcement person, okay, who needed to have to feel better under her, you know, she had her mask on, she worked on, she works evenings, and she gets up midday and, and she wanted to feel better. And okay, and so that's an appropriate patient to do. And then I had an ICU nurse today, too. It was time for her to come in and feel good. And I think that's okay. I think we, again, we, we need to be able, as you all have said, I think the marketing of this is we're providing a, a wellness and a well-being for our patients um, that some people are not gonna understand. And, and you know, the, the people that are, you know, that are used to what we do and understand how much better they feel. And again, Joel's point about the Zoom calls and wanting to look good and all this other stuff, I think it's important. So we're doing everything we know what to do. I'm seeing less than 25% of my normal. My staff is, you know, again, it's like they're in a, in going into battle when we're, we're doing this. Um, everybody, masks, I'm in my office or my own office, or I take my mask off in here, but other, if I walk out of my office, there's, you know, we are in mass. It's disgusting, but it's the norm and it's what we're gonna do. And I don't think that we can do anything else. So Joe Schlesinger, welcome and please comment. Are you open? Yes, we are. And I'm gonna actually go back to the question on the KN95 versus the N95. Okay. Now my understanding, and it may be incorrect, is that there are questions with, this, with the actual N95s, not because they don't work, but because people are so non-compliant with them and use them uh, sporadically and, and inappropriately. So in other words, they may not fit it correctly. They may get uh, concerning uh, rashes and issues and so they may adjust it. And in the process of adjusting it, they leave themselves open to more issues. So we actually have the KN95s and I find they're okay. I don't know that, that they're easy because the, the ear uh, aspect, the loops on it are absolutely impossible without a plastic uh, adjuster or using some other situation to, to relieve the, the pressure on the ears that, that causes your ears to almost you know, fall off. So uh, there are issues with every single mask and I think that that's, that's one of the biggest issues. So now as far as we're op as our opening, we've done a lot 
of uh, things to keep people from coming into the office. So whether or not you're open, I think that the most important thing that you can do is to try and keep people the heck away from your office unless they need to be there. So in other words, we do not see any acne patients unless they need to come in, i.e. an Accutane patient who needs blood work uh, can come in, a psoriasis patient who might need to have uh, blood work or a TB test, yes, they can come in. But otherwise, you, you don't need to come in if, if you have a rash and we can diagnose it over telemedicine. We can diagnose it an awful lot of things and, and also uh, make sure that we have the, the proper precautions uh, instituted when you come in and make sure that uh, the visit is as short as possible. So for example, we are seeing cosmetic patients, but uh, those cosmetic patients are highly screened. We make sure that they are wearing uh, PPE when, when they come in. We have masks for them and uh, we have them, we give them masks if they don't have one. It's a cloth mask and then as they, as they leave, they deposit the mask on the way out in a box. Um, and during their visit, we're making sure that they wear that mask except for the very short amount of time we might have to uh, look at or adjust it to, to uh, access one area of their face. So for example, if we're doing under eye fillers, they might move the mask down just a little bit so we can get into the under eye area. But other than that, we're trying to uh, leave the masks on as much if not entirely as possible. And of course, our entire staff is equipped with PPE. We are fortunate we have uh, great uh, KN95s. We also have shields if we need to. Um, what we're not doing, we don't have a spa. Our spa is, is completely closed. Um, and we uh, don't know when it's going to go open, so it's right. a challenge. So here in Nashville, by so, the way, for spa, for spas, there there is no facials, no derma planning, no anything. So basically, my team is it's skincare talk discussions, um, and they do some of the body contouring, skin tightening procedures, and so they're they're able to do that. But facials and those things are not part of, not allowed right now here. Michael wearing long sleeves, and you're at the office. I'm at the office and I'm wearing short sleeves and I'm wearing scrubs. So I will say that there's a lot of different ways that we can try to protect ourselves with PPE. You know, certainly face masks are an option, but they, if you're wearing a mask or two, it becomes very hot. If you're wearing loops, it becomes next to impossible to wear those face shields. And if you're wearing some sort of protective glasses, that's a different story because it really seals around it, hopefully. But when it comes to long sleeves and things like that, I actually am not wearing any long sleeves, but I'm, but I'm not wearing one of those protective suits. My staff, if they want to wear them, you know, we have them. But I actually like to scrub up my arms um, with the chlorhexidine. I'm getting a little bit of irritation and a rash on this. And for the past week, I actually stopped wearing a watch. And then it was very difficult for me to figure out what time it was. And I'd, I'd end up having to look at one of the iPads or something like that. And then I decided I'm just going to take my old Timex Iron Man. I have no affiliation with them. And I literally, when I scrub with my chlorhexidine. You do now. You do now. I scrub <laughs> the entire area of my watch up and down my arms. And then I think we all have our routine when we get home. I get home I, in the garage. My wife or family member opens the door. I immediately take everything off and the wash machine has nothing in it, the doors open, and I take off all my stuff, and then I take a shower, and then once I've cleaned, then I come out and, and greet my family. And I think there's a lot of things that we need to consider, like the little thing like the watch, where it's exposed. And you know, we may get some splatter from a surgical procedure, or we may have some, some 
other type of issue where somebody breathes close to it and there's something on it. So I guess we do what we can. Right. I don't do MOS, so I'm that, right now I'm really only doing medical derm, and so and I'm staying very far from every patient. I'm not doing anything exciting. There's a there's actually so, a thing. There's a um, kind of disposable um, uh, coat, lab coat, uh, that you can get, and you can get it now in McKesson, and they're about five dollars a piece. But you can autoclave them up to ten times, and they actually they, they look good. Um, they cover everything, um, and they're autoclavable, and they're very reasonable. Um, and we bought we bought a bunch of them, both for the staff and for us, um, that we use in place because we couldn't get the regular other kind of gowns that we were using normally for surgery. But these things work great, and they are autoclavable. So I'll send out the link for what these please, are. Please do. I wanted to throw out two ideas for us to think about. One is something called choice architecture. Um, and that's a term, a heuristic from uh, Amos Tversky and Danny Kahneman. And choice architecture is how you present something to someone. So if I said, there's a condition you could get that you have a 99 point something percent chance that you're gonna be just fine. Or if I presented as, this is something that millions of people can die from, right? So we're so, geared to be risk averse and loss averse, that we're gonna make these decisions to shut down the economy, close our practices, where 5,000 layers where we can't even breathe or properly assess our patients and have a proper patient experience um, for something that we have a 99% chance of coming out good from. Now, I know this is not popular and someone's gonna throw numbers at me and talk about this being a pandemic and something in the moment. I get that and I don't want anybody to get hurt or die and I don't wanna hear people who would be on Mark, what Mark Nestor said before about coming to us and saying, well, it's just neuromodulators and fillers. These are frivolous and, you know, these are not life-sustaining things when they're nobody to judge. I mean, so taking judgment off the table about whose treatments or what somebody does to value their life and taking that off the table and then putting out there the idea of diminishing returns. At what level of layer protection do we wear that it actually makes such a little difference and adds so much inconvenience and discomfort and ruins the experience so much that it becomes just silly. Where, I mean, some of this is based on unknowns. We do this because we don't know. So we wanna be careful. We wanna to go to that nth degree. We wanna show our patients that yes, we're doctors and we're gonna do everything above and beyond. And that's why you come to us because we're gonna protect you. But at what point do we become the voices of reason that say, look, we're, we're doing everything within our power based on what we know. We're going to wear these masks. It's none of the masks that we're really wearing are going to stop viral particles that are aerosolized because the particles are too small. Unless you get a fit test, you have an N95, but you can only breathe through the mask. Everything else is going to be stopping respiratory droplets. And most masks are going to do that because they go forward. And so you're going, to, you're going to stop that from going. We're going to do reasonable things like the hypochlorous acid, peroxide rinses, povidone iodine nasal things, which will give us some added protection. And the rest of it is just controlling viral load, right, so that we have as low a viral load as possible. So God forbid if you get sick, it won't kill you. You'll be, you won't feel good, but you'll get over it, and then you'll be immune for at least a while because we are showing that there is some immunity. So that's my little tirade on that. And I will now pause and let everyone else have a voice. Morris, I, I applaud you on that. <laughs> However, um, the question really is, what is that level? And, and this is the, I the know. 
issue because we don't know. You said the, the most important thing is we don't know. That's why I was very uh, excited when I heard, you know, from this ICU person to say, look, you know, everybody is, is treating in the ICU intubated patients. They're intubating. They all have COVID, severe COVID, et cetera, and they're not getting sick. The problem we have is that we don't have good experimental data on what does what. Uh, it's clear that if both people wear masks, it cuts this down dramatically, the risk. How much, we don't know. And we don't know, you, you said something before, we don't know if there is different communicability with the different mutations of the virus. There's, there's some talk about that, we don't know that either. You know, it, it's funny, in scientific terms, COVID's been around like almost a minute, almost no time. We've really a done second. a lot, you know, a lot, uh, for the few months that COVID has been there and it's just, you know, wiping us out because we're getting such conflicting data on so many different things and we don't know what's going on and, and nobody's able to really follow up. But I think what you said is, is the key issue is certain things we can do easily enough to protect our staff, ourselves and the patient um, based on knowledge that we have now. And, and, you know, Joel uh, Cohen, I, I understand what you're doing with wearing uh, short sleeves. I think that it's easier to cover up with a gown that you can autoclave or dispose of, both for the patient and for us. Um, and I think that what's the funny thing is that for most of our patients, going out to the store, et cetera, is probably more risky. Uh, for getting it and for us than, than from our patients. And I think that's really the key thing that we need to do for our patients. Patients need that's to- That's why I don't think testing help because you can test somebody and then you have that three days. If they went to the store in that three days, they could have gotten infected. And so now you have this test, but how much does it really mean in that time I that you I waited? Disagree. I disagree because they've shown over and over again that the amount of room air that is around you when you're in contact with people really matters and the flow. So when you're in uh, a grocery store that has a you know large, and if they're limiting the amount of people that are in there, I would think, I mean, obviously it's not zero, but I would think it's less than if you're in a closed room with your patient, you know, granted, even if you both have masks, that's good, but you're still gonna probably be in there for at least 10 minutes. That's probably gonna be more exposure and you're gonna see 10, 20, I don't know how many people you're going to see in a day. I still think because you're seeing a fair number of people in a day and you have, even if you stand six feet apart, that enclosed space really, I think, makes a difference. Um, so that's for what it's worth. I do think it is, I think what Dora said is it's about viral load. It's all about keeping the amount of particles that you actually inhale or come onto the surface of you be extremely low and vice versa. So what that also means to me is limit your time in the rooms. And if you have a larger room that is available, like for example, we have surgical suites that are a little bit larger than our, our plain exam rooms. Uh, we take patients into those rooms and see them there. It's not like we're seeing a ton of patients. We may be seeing five or 10 patients a day right now. So you can afford to take them into the larger rooms and keep yourself with a less uh, a lesser viral load. Right. 
I will say that we need to obviously have rules and we need to have consistency. We had somebody come, the guy that came for the disposable sharps containers, and he came into the office. He wasn't wearing a mask, and I insisted that he put one on. You know, this guy's working with hazardous waste to begin with, but you shouldn't be going in and out of places without a mask. And it's hard. You know, my kids are at the point where they want to go to, you know, the boba tea place or they want to get a cup of chai tea or something and and you you drop them off there and you look at the line and people aren't wearing a mask and you say no no I'm not going to do that and I don't mean to necessarily call on Steve just because you guys are all buddies and he's a buddy but you know it looks like he went to the store to get um, some sort of coffee today I don't know what what coffee places are open but I saw the sleeve on it but you know those are those are things that people I agree with Mark whether you go to the grocery store or you go to the coffee house or wherever it is I, I think that many people are not wearing a mask these days you're probably not six feet apart from them and those are higher risk behaviors than coming to our office where we are screening people and we are wiping things down for just a quick minute I, I do want to talk about you know some of the things where as a as a physician right now wearing all this stuff is hot and sweaty and and you know when I, I, for the first time in 25 years, I'm using benzoyl peroxide every night on my nose because I'm breaking out on my nose from the occlusiveness. Number two is I have a tape area where I'm using paper tape on my nose that's irritated. I'm putting a little topical steroid on it. I happen to have the biggest ears in the world, but my ears are being pulled forward. So I am using um, my partner, Dr. Fedig, happened to make this one for me, but this is two ponytail holders with two paper clips. And this elongates the area of the the uh, ear loop, so it's not pulling on my ears. But fortunately, I have two little girls at home, and ponytail holders are no problem to find, and paper clips are no problem to find. But there's little things that we can do, I think, that really help us quite a bit. Thanks. Steve. And speaking of that, I think that there are things that we do, sorry, Steve, that I think we're going to do after um, that, that we'll find that we're like, hey, this is a great idea. And even when we don't have to have the measures we have now, we'll say, well, I learned from it, and I'm going to do these things differently. Steve. Any comments, Steve? You know, it's like I, uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we're saying no one wear masks. Now we're like, how can you go out not wearing a mask? Two weeks from now, we're going to say, oh, masks don't really work. And, you know, I, I go back and forth and I, I love, I'm, I'm a scientist like the rest of you, but I also recognize that science is not, uh, it has its fallibilities. And I think we also have to realize that too. And some of this is going to, a lot of this is going to, we're going to figure this out as we move along. And to Mark's point, I mean, we're so early in this. And it's the unknowns, as both Doris and Mark have talked about. And those things are going to be figured out pretty quickly in the next few months because we're going to go back to work. And guess what? Maybe the virus is going to run its course. And like a lot of viruses, they run courses and they, they kind of just disappear. Or, or maybe it's going to come back in a second wave. And maybe all the stuff we're doing is, is important, but, or maybe it's not. I, we don't really know. So we're, 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 I love when we get so like um, ardent on one, one way and then a month later we're like going back the other way so i think that's why that's why this is so that's why this is so good because we're having this archive so we're going to see well the thing about the masks hasn't really changed i mean the the part about the masks is still true wearing a mask protects the other person more than it protects you and it's protecting with respiratory droplets so um i think our understanding that way but in the past it was don't wear a mask because we didn't have enough for healthcare workers and now that there's more masks to be but there's still not enough doors. Um, I mean, there's still not enough, but there's more and more coming on a daily basis. I, I mean, know, there's yeah. millions of masks being flooded into the market. So I, I think that as more, and we're, we're also saying that it's not always a mask, it's a face covering. And the idea of the face covering, whether it's a bandana or a cloth or a homemade whatever, the idea is it's stopping respiratory droplets um, from reaching out. But I think the problem is, is that 
every time there's a switch or an unknown, what we do is we create fear in the public and, and that fear becomes its own problem. So now every time you walk outside in the streets of New York, which there's not that many people out right now, which is really sad, but there's still this sense that even if you pass someone and you're six feet away, they want to be 10 feet away and they look at you with such such fear that are you the person who's going to be who's going to kill me like you know if you breathe in my direction am i going to die that amount of fear is so it's is so pervasive that it's its own illness right now and all of these conversations and i i fear that what we're doing with the the layers that we do is just going to expand that fear and i i mean i hope that we can find a way to figure out what's reasonable to do and how to have a conversation that's science and fact based, not fear based.